Pray, Lord, that as we come before you individually and as in groups, we're lifting up our request, we're praising you, we're thanking you, but we're also making known the things that are all heavy on our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet each one of us here and that, Father, individually, your spirit would just move in the lives of these people and that we can be drawn closer to you, uh, that our lives can be straightened out, encouraged, uh, that, Father, relationships can be restored. And whatever we're praying for, Lord, I just pray, whatever that may be, that you would work in our lives. We give you the remainder of this time as we look, Father, and begin uh, or conclude our discussion on marriage. Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and that uh, all of us could be committed to strengthening our marriages. All of us could be given wisdom as we seek in the future to be married. That, Father, you would help us as believers in Christ to have solid spiritual homes. And, Father, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all be seated? While you're being seated, let me tell you a little story. There were two friends one time, John and Jerry. And Jerry had a habit, a bad habit, and he would always say something to John. He would say, now, isn't that right, John? And then he would slap John across the chest, you know, just joking around. Isn't that right? Slap him. And this happened a lot. This happened more often than not. And, and John began to get aggravated with the whole thing. And he was mad. He told Jerry, and Jerry didn't pay him any attention. He just continued to hit him. And it was just in friendly jest, but it aggravated John to no end. So John decided one day that he was going to do something about it. So he's outside tinkering in his garage. And a neighbor comes over. He says, now, John, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm strapping two sticks of dynamite to my chest. And the next time Jerry hits me on the chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out the problem with that logic, does it? That not only is he going to blow Jerry up, he's going to blow himself up and anybody around him. You think to yourself, how foolish. But when it comes to our marriages, sometimes we do the same thing. We destroy ourselves, our family, our spouse, and everyone around us because of the way that we attack and destroy each other. We may as well just strap dynamite to our chest and blow up everybody because that's the way we deal with the situations. And that's what happens when we um, have conflict within a marriage and it just seems to mushroom and get worse and worse until finally you just don't care anymore and you're willing to destroy anything around you in order to make it stop. Today I want to talk to you on the subject of fighting fair, learning how to fight fair. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, you ought to be telling people they shouldn't fight or argue or have conflict in a marriage because they ought to have good marriages and and so forth. I understand that. And we all know that that's the ideal and what we ought to desire and to strive to achieve. But in reality, everyone has conflict at some point in their marriage. Everybody. And if you're one of those that is constantly having conflict and you think that you're the only one, then if everybody is honest, you'd find that you're really not. Now, the problem is we don't always know how to handle it. We don't always know how to do it and deal with it. And we end up destroying ourselves, our marriage, and people around us. So there need to be some ground rules to help you navigate through those times. And I want to encourage all of you students, all of you young people that are yet to be married, that you listen because you think to yourself, well, he's talking about marriage and that doesn't really apply to me. I want to share with you things today that if you will take and tuck them away somewhere in the recesses of your mind or write them down somewhere, 
It will serve you like you cannot believe. It will help you so much. As you are dating, as you are struggling through that relationship and whether to get married and so forth, when you get married, the things that I'm going to talk to you about today, they're just very practical things. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to look at Scripture today. Now you think, well, what's some kind of preacher? He doesn't even look at the Bible. Well, we've been looking at it <laughs> for the last few weeks. We've been deep into the book of Ephesians and looking at chapter 5 about marriage. And then we went back to 4 to draw in some things. And I want to finish it up today, sort of a summary, on that part of that book of Ephesians dealing with marriage. And we'll move on to something else and finish the book starting next week. But I want to talk with you about that. Now, as you recall, for the last two sermons, we've been talking about the rules of communication. And as you thought about those, if you, as you discussed them in your growth groups last week, we talked about being honest, and that is you don't lie, you don't deceive, and you don't clam up and do nothing, but that you deal with the issues, that you don't let things go, and that you keep current, you don't put things off and ignore them because they only get worse. All of these things are helping you to learn to communicate, to open the door to start talking to your partner. You don't attack your spouse. In other words, you deal with the problem. Don't attack each other. Deal with the issue that's making you angry. And then we talked about lastly is that you don't overreact. The initial response to, that most people have whenever they're in a situation like that is they overreact. This is why Paul talked about in Ephesians, as we looked at, you don't blow up, you don't brawl, you don't fight, you don't uh, call each other names, you don't slander, you don't do these things. And that's initially the way we've learned over time to deal with problems and to deal with issues. And he's saying, no, don't do it that way. Now, these things that I'm telling you will work in any relationship, but we're focusing in on marriage. And you may think it may not apply, but just pay attention because it will serve you well. So here you are. You've learned now, okay, I need to communicate. I need to open up that door of communication with my spouse, and we need to be honest and not clam up and all of these things that we've talked about. Well, now what do I do? What do I say? So I want to give you some things that will serve as guidelines to help you to deal with conflict. That's what we're going to do today. Some guidelines that will help you deal with conflict. These are important, but they're very, very practical. These are things that I'm going to tell you you should do, things you shouldn't do. Things to stay away from, things you need to start doing. They're going to be difficult for some of you, okay? I'm just going to tell you up front. Because they, they sound good when you're standing up or talking about it, but when it comes to the doing of it, you think to yourself... That's just not me. You know, I, I think I would rather take a strap the dynamite to me. I, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, but I promise you that if you can begin to apply these things, if you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, I guarantee you that you will change and your spouse will too. First guideline, here it is. You take a divorce off the table. You take divorce off the table. Now, if you're in my growth group, we, some of these things were brought out in the discussion last week. You stole my thunder. I didn't say anything because we were going well on the discussion. But if it sounds familiar, I didn't steal it from you, okay? So just so that you know. But you take divorce off the table. 
Now, how many times have you heard of people, and maybe you've done this yourself, is that you get into an argument or you don't like something and you confront your spouse and you're threatening them. If this doesn't change, I'm out of here. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to leave you. It was better when I was single. My life was more enjoyable when I was single. We say all kinds of things like that. And so taking divorce off the table means that you stop doing that and you don't look at divorce as being a parachute to get you out of the situation. You're in it. And you've got to acknowledge it. And you've got to come to the conclusion that I'm in this for the long haul and I'm not leaving. Now, why do you think that it is so important that you reach that conclusion before you ever start talking to your spouse? Why do you think that's important? Just think about it. Here's a couple of reasons. Because if divorce is an option for you, if that's something you're seriously considering, you will not work on the marriage. You just won't. I've had people come into my office over the years of ministry that I've been in in different churches. They'll sit down in front of me and they come in because they've got a problem. And it doesn't take long to figure out that at least one of them is just going through the motions. Because that person is already checked out and they're already thinking of how you're going to get out of this. I'm going to come to appease everybody and to make the pastor think that I'm at least trying, but I'm really not. Because you see, I have an exit strategy. And I'll go through the motions, but I'm not going to change because I don't want this marriage to work. And some of us, you know, we approach our, our marriage and the problems and the conflicts that we have just that way. Where's the motivation to ever change anything, where, to ever make it work if you think in the back of your mind that you have an exit strategy and you have an out? And I've got to tell you, you know, one of the things that really upsets me about some of the TV shows that are on, and, I, hey, look, I watch TV a lot, too. I mean, I, there are programs I like, too. Um, but some of the things talk about, you know, you meet somebody, and now in two weeks on the TV show, you're supposed to fall in love and get married. And the reason somebody can even think of doing that is because they know in the back of their minds, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get a divorce. And that's the sad part. Now, some of you have already been divorced. I realize that. And you have a lot of regrets, a lot of guilt. You have all kinds of things that you're feeling. And that's not, this is not a message about the evils of divorce. I'm just telling you that when God said you are to get married, it was for life. And that as long as you think in the back of your mind that you can get out of this, then you'll never, ever change. You'll never, ever do anything. But here's another reason why that you... This, you got to take it off the table, and that is because if you keep saying to your spouse, I'm going to leave you, I'm out of here, I want out, then they're very, very insecure in this relationship. They don't feel loved, they don't feel secure, they don't feel safe. And so the first thing, you, you make a decision, we're going to communicate, we're going to open up the doors of communication, and we're going to talk and we're going to work on the marriage then take divorce off the table completely. No discussion, no mention, no thought about divorce because that is not what God wants you to do. And you have got to come to that conclusion that you're committed to this for the long haul, that we're going to live life God's way. You understand? God's way. My way is to get out if it's painful. But we're going to change all of that and we're making a commitment to do it God's way. Now, guys... I think that it's important that sometimes we back up and we ask ourselves, what was it that attracted you to your mate to start with? What was it? 
you know, it might have been the way they look. Uh, that's understandable, physical attraction. But what it grew to something. I mean, what did you see in your mate that caused you to be able to trust them, love them, rely on them, enjoy being with them? There was something there, some traits. That's probably never changed. It's just hidden. And deep down underneath all the baggage and the hurt and the pain, those things that you fell in love with are still there. You know, people come, in, come into my office and they'll sit down and they'll say, well, I'm just, I'm going, we're going to get a divorce. And so I'll say, okay, let's talk about that. And so I'll begin to ask them. I'll say, now, have you got somebody in mind? Well, no, I just want out. Okay. Do you think you might get married again? Well, probably. I say, okay, let's talk about it. So you haven't found anybody yet, so you've got to go through this divorce. You're going to have legal problems. You're going to lose half of what you own. You're going to have to go through all of this, legalities of all of this. Then once that's done, you're going to find somebody. And where are you going to find them? In a bar? Well, I don't know. Well, that's probably where you're going to find them. And so you're going to find somebody that you don't really know or understand. You're probably going to jump back into a relationship very quickly because most people that go through a divorce do. And you're going to find that nothing ever changed because you never changed. And you're going to bring the same problems into this relationship. And two or three years down the road, you're going to be right back in the same boat again. So let's be realistic. You figure by the time you go through all of this, it's going to take you two years at least to find somebody once you get divorced and get married again. That sounds about right. All right, let's talk about that. What if you took those same two years and you began to make a serious decision that you're going to work on this relationship and i guarantee you it wouldn't take anywhere near two years but what if you just took six months and you put everything you've got into this relationship both of you and you worked on this and you made it work you've got somebody that you already know you already know this person why not invest the time into changing yourself, allowing your mate to change, and coming together and building from here? Why would you go out looking for somebody else and you've still got the same issues? So they begin to think and they see the logic of that. And so they'll go for counseling and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's all because of them. You get out of it what you put into it. But if you are having conflicts with your spouse and you've made a decision that you're going to do something about it, you're going to enter into some sort of dialogue with your spouse and honestly, peacefully, calmly discuss the problems, then the first thing I am advising you to do is to take divorce off the table. Do not bring it in. Do not even think about it or consider it. Because for you as a believer, this is not really an option that we should consider. So here's the second one. The second guideline that I would give you is this, that you assume 100% of the responsibility for resolving the conflict. You, not your spouse, you, assume 100% of the responsibility for resolving the conflict. Now notice what I did not say. I did not say that you assume 100% of the blame. You're probably both to blame in this, whatever it may be. But you can only control yourself. And you have got to assume 100% of the responsibility of making this thing work. Now just imagine with me. You've got two people in conflict. They've been fighting for years. They finally make a decision. We're going to slow down. We're going to be at peace here. We're going to at least deal with our issues. And each one of them comes to the realization. You know what? 
I'm going to change. I'm going to be 100% responsible for this marriage working. Tell me how could that thing not work if both are committed to 100% putting it in there. See, we all have been told over the years that marriage is 50-50. And that's a lie. It's not. It's not 50-50. You don't find that in the Bible. God brings two people together. They come together. They join together physically as one, mentally as one, spiritually as one, and they are consumed. Their lives are intertwined. There's no 50-50 to it. Now, here's the problem with that way of thinking. We're in this 50-50. So now here's two people sitting in front of my desk, and I'm talking to them about marriage. And they have this mentality that, okay, I've got 50% and she's got 50% or vice versa. I'm willing to take care of my 50% of responsibility here if they do first. Okay, I'll do my part if they do their part. See, therein lies the problem with this whole idea of 50%. In other words, you realize that, you know what, before God, I have a responsibility to this person, to our family, and to my God. And I, even though there's enough blame to go around, if this thing is going to change, then I have got to change. And when I take that position and assume 100% as if the whole thing lay on your shoulders, then's when things happen. You see people come in and they drag their spouse in there and say, here, fix him, fix her. I can't fix anybody. And nothing is ever going to change until you make the decision that you're going to change. And when that happens, oh, you'd be amazed. Miraculous things begin to take place because God moves. You know, the Bible never tells us that you're to love someone if they love you back or if they deserve it. The Bible never says to be kind to someone if they're kind to you. No. You assume 100% of that responsibility. And it's the same in marriage. So that's my second guideline for you. I got seven of these. We're going to have to move fast, okay? So I may cut some of them short. Number three is this. Don't use the following words or phrases. Don't use the following words or phrases. Now, remember, you're, 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 you've made the decision that you're going to communicate. Then we've got you to that point here, okay? You're not going to run anymore. You're going to communicate. And we're, we're dealing with how to do that. So here are some words and phrases that will serve you well not to use. And we all do, see, but we've got to stop and think about this and realize the problems with saying things the way we say them. For example, and I've told you some of these in in previous sermons that we've dealt with on marriage, but a phrase like, you never, just fill in the blank, or you always in fill in the blank. Here's the problem with that. Here's here's an, an illustration. The husband has the responsibility of taking out the garbage. The wife said, this is what you need to do. This is what I want you to do. So you take out the garbage. Okay. Three out of four times, he took out the garbage. Six months ago, he hardly ever took it out. Now he's taken it out three or four times, or three out of four times, 
And he doesn't take it out this particular night. And the wife blows up because she's been working hard all day. And she comes in. Here's what she says. She says, you always do this. You never take out the trash like you're supposed to. Where were you the three times I did take it out? Just this past month. And what happens is this. He thinks to himself as she says that. He thinks everything that I've done was for naught. Any good thing that has happened in the past didn't matter. Why even try? You see, nobody is always good or bad. Nobody never does or does not do something. And so we've got to change the way we talk to each other. And so leave these words out and just don't say them. You never do this or you always. It's just not true to start with. Because he can or she can probably think of some time they did. And it's like us guys, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little secret about us, okay? We like to get credit for things. You know, we do. We do things and we think, well, wait a minute, I didn't get credit for that. And so you girls have got to realize, when you tell me I don't ever do something, I know that's not true, and it hurts me that you don't realize it. There may be times, I may be slack. You know, I may not do it all the time, and I need to. But just don't use phrase like that. Here's another one you don't ever use. Don't ever say, I can't. Honey, I want you to do such and such. Look, I can't do that. I want us to sit down and talk about some problems. Oh, man, I can't. I just can't. You know me. I'm not, I'm not a talker. Anybody ever say to you when you ask them to do something, I can't? And it makes you mad and you don't know why. Why does it make you mad? Because basically you know what they really mean. They really mean, I don't want to. I won't. And so they use the excuse, well, I can't. And that implies either something stopping me from doing it. And in reality, you're just saying, I don't want to. Why don't you just say that to start with? Take I can't off the table, and when asked to do something, when you're sitting there communicating with your spouse and they bring up something about you that needs to change, rather than saying I can't, just be honest and say, I don't want to. You can deal with that. We can talk about that, why you don't want to, and you may give the reason why. I don't want to because. But don't sit there and say I can't because, yes, you can. You're just basically trying to find an excuse the reason why you don't want to. I'll try. That's another one you need to leave out, okay? I'll try. Honey, you need to do such and such. Or, honey, I want you to, would you help me with this? I'll try. And everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows you're going to make a half-hearted effort and you're still not going to do it. Don't say that. Use other language. You know, you could say something like, you know what, honey, you're right. And I'll work on that. Hey, that's a change. He's going to work on it. and not just telling me he's going to try when I know he's lying. Or she, same thing. Things like that, phrases like that, those are important that you don't use when you're trying to create an atmosphere of communication when you're trying to talk to each other. So these are just little practical things. Just leave it out. Now, when you get into your groups tonight, I want you to talk about issues that you've experienced, okay? I want you to talk about times when this has happened to you in your marriage, where any of these that we talk about today is something you've gone through. Share that with everybody, because everybody doesn't understand 
We, see, this is the problem in churches. We get together as Christians and we look at other people and we judge them. We think, my gosh, they have a wonderful marriage, a wonderful family. Oh, man, I feel so guilty. I wish I could be like them. But in reality, what you don't see is that they have the same struggles you do. And they are having to learn and to change and to grow. And see, this is what I believe the Bible talks about when it says to hold each other up and to encourage one another is because I hear you. One of the best things that Deborah and I ever experienced was being in groups when we were in seminary. And in hearing grown, adult, gray-headed folks in the group talk about things they struggle with. And I think, man, we're not so bad after all. That's important because Christians have a tendency to get down on themselves. They do. And so this is why we do this in these groups. So please feel free tonight to talk about these things. Here's the fourth one, okay? The fourth guideline that I'll give you. Just to deal with one issue at a time. One issue at a time. Here's the problem. You say, okay, we're gonna, we've set this time aside. We both agree that we're going to calmly sit down and talk about some things and, and communicate with each other. And so one of you, and it's usually the wife, because this has been building up, and so you think, okay, I've got his attention. I've got a list we're going to talk about. You see, don't do that. That's like piling on. You know, you can have other times of sitting down calmly and talking, but here's what you need, okay? Your marriage needs a win. You need a win. And so you deal with one thing, one thing, and you've resolved that. And then both of you leave there thinking, man, this is going to work. And then the next time you look forward to getting together because you know that, hey, look, we've resolved that problem. We can do it again. One at a time. Don't add any more to it. Just purposely say, this is all we're going to talk about. This one thing. That's all. Here's the fifth one. Now, guys, I know this is going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard to you, okay? Just bear with me. This will serve you well if you can learn it and remember it. Focus on how you feel about the problem. Focus on how you feel about the problem. Like, eh, they say go with that psychology mumbo-jumbo. Well, not really. Think about it, okay? Usually when we communicate, we're communicating about how, how angry we are over something somebody did, and we're telling them off. We're telling them, you shouldn't have done that, you can't do anything right, blah, 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 and we start attacking. That's not the issue. The issue is because that when she wrecked the car... It's not necessarily the fact that you wrecked the car, but there's something going on with you. Why are you so angry? Now, what are you feeling? What's the real point here? And so it's very important that you learn to, to put things in, or frame things in such a way where you're saying, instead of accusing, you're saying, look, when you do that, I feel like it's important. Now, let me give you some illustrations. When your husband or wife, either one, is gone all night and they don't call you, they're working late, they're over to a friend's house, they're doing something, and they don't call you to let you know that. They come in and usually you attack. Why don't you do this? Why don't you say, look, when you work late at night and you don't call me, I feel like you just aren't respecting me. 
I had dinner ready for you. The kids wanted to say goodnight. I didn't know if you were dead on the street. I didn't know where you were. And it was very disrespectful, and that's how I felt. Now, what's that guy going to do then? Who's he going to fight against? What's he going to get mad at? The way he made you feel? Here's the beauty of this. Because we learn to express what we're feeling, nobody can argue with that. Nobody can get mad at it. And what you usually discover is that I didn't know that. I didn't think. And I had no idea that was causing you to feel that way. But see, we begin to assume things that may not be true. Here's another example. I feel hurt and rejected when you joke about my weight. Mm. See, that goes both ways. We think husbands teasing their wives about their weight, but the older we get, the pudgier we get, you know. We don't like to be teased either. And sometimes we tease each other and we don't mean anything by it. But to be able to say, you know what, here's what I'm feeling when you make jokes about me. And I know, you, I know you're not serious. That's not the point. If I thought you were serious, I'd hit you with a baseball bat. <laughs> but I, I know you're not serious, but here's how you make me feel. You know, I feel hurt. I feel like you don't care. I think you, you think I'm ugly. Whatever you're feeling, say it. Here's another one. I feel like you don't trust me when you question me like that. You know, you come home from doing something or working late or being over at friends and you get all these questions. What's really going on? Do you just not trust me? Because I feel like you're just giving me the third degree and you don't really trust me. Say it. Don't just get mad. And here's, here's the point. You know, nobody can argue with this. Nobody can get mad. And it almost diffuses the situation because the person understands, okay, I did something that made you feel a certain way. I can change that. I did something and I had no intention of making you feel that way. I can change that. But when you attack, everybody goes to their corners and comes out fighting. Number six, very quickly. Practice active listening. You know what that is. You've heard it before. Where you are repeating back to somebody what they've just said to you. You are in a, you're sitting down, you're talking, you're communicating now, and everything's going fine, and somebody says something, and a good practice is this. Let me clarify, make sure that I'm hearing you right, okay? This is what I'm hearing you say to me. And they say, yeah, that's it. First of all, it makes them feel good that you understood and listened, that you were even listening. You see, this is important. But also, here, it gives them the opportunity to say no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I said. I'm trying to convey this to you. Oh, okay. We clarified that. It's just a practice that you get into. This is good in anything, any relationship. But just, it's called active listening. So just say, hey, look, let me stop you. Let me repeat back at least what I'm hearing and see if I'm right here, okay? And you just say it back. Here's number seven, last one. This is, think of your spouse as an instrument of God working in your life. Think of your spouse as an instrument of God working in your life. Now, I know in some marriages you think they're an instrument of Satan. I know that. They're not, okay? They're an instrument of God. 
And as bad as it may be, and as hard as it is for you to come to grips with having to deal with the relationship and having to make changes, listen to this, okay? When God created Eve and he brought her to Adam, it was to make Adam a better man. It was. I'm bringing her to you to be your helper, the one perfectly fitted for you. We are fallen people saved by the grace of God, but we enter into marriage with all of our baggage. We come into a relationship with a broken home, horrific conditions in which we've been brought up in, parents that fought all the time. And that's been our model. That's what we see. That's what we understand to be the right way or basically the only way. And so you come into this relationship with all of your warts, with all of your ugliness, and God begins to work. And the things that are said and done by your mate, the confrontations, sometimes even the name-calling, We don't quite know how we're doing it. We do it wrong sometimes, but we're basically trying to change the other person. You've got to begin to see yourself and to see your mate like this. That God took these two people and brought them together to make them better. See, some of us, we approach this with this attitude. I don't need to be made better. And that's the sad part. Because we come into a relationship and we don't always know how to love. We don't always know how to be kind. We don't always know how to be considerate. We don't always know how to be a leader in the home. We don't always, women, know how to submit now in this setting, the authority and leadership within a home. We've talked about that. And so we're in this relationship and God has said to us that we have the responsibility to help that other person reach their full potential in Christ. Now that's painful. It is. And we don't always understand it. But it's nonetheless something that we're all supposed to be doing. And sometimes we get angry at the other person we think, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are trying to change me? And instead, we ought to be going to the Lord and praying and saying, Lord, what are they trying to tell me that you want me to hear? What are they trying to convey that I need to take to heart? If you and I would begin to approach marriage like this, that when somebody, your mate, expresses to you a concern, expresses to you a problem, expresses to you an issue, then instead of getting mad at them, you begin to say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me? And then you begin to change. I told you before, nobody can change you. They can point out the flaws, they can Try to, and sometimes in a poor manner, but try to convey to you what you need to be doing or ought to be doing or what would be the right thing to do. But the bottom line is this. It always comes down to you. It always comes down to you. 
You've got to make the effort. You've got to change. You've got to become what God wants you to be. And that, like I said before, when two people reach that conclusion, there's nothing that cannot be salvaged. God can clean up any mess. God can heal any hurt. But it always comes back to me in my willingness to submit to what God wants me to do. And when you see your, your spouse as somebody like iron sharpening iron, the Bible talks about, of all people in your life, your spouse knows you better than anybody. They know your weaknesses, they know your strengths, and they love you anyway. Then allow them. Give them the freedom, the permission to speak into your life. And I guarantee you, your marriage will be better than it ever has been before. And you'll look back someday and you'll think, this is miraculous, what God has done. Remember, God's working on your side. God wants you to have a good marriage. He really does. Next week, we're going to move on in chapter 6. We're going to be talking about family, children, things like that. And um, I think there's some good things that we all need to hear, adults and children too, young people. So please plan to be here for that as well. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, let me read you this verse and then we'll close. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16. It's a popular verse and most everybody knows it. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what God offers to you and me. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ and understanding that he died on the cross for me, took all of my sin upon himself, God gives me as a gift eternal life because of my faith in what he's done, his son, the sacrifice that he sent. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And, you know, wherever you are in life at this point, wherever your marriage is at this point, this is a time where you need to let God deal with you, okay? If you're here and you don't know for sure that you're a believer or have questions about that, you're just basically turning to God in faith. Lord, I believe what the Bible says. That verse says, you give me eternal life. I trust you for that. Do that now. For all of us, whether we are married or not, let's take some of the things that we've talked about today and begin to apply them in relationships especially marriage, but just in relationships in general. And let's become the people that God wants us to be. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are humbled because we realize that we, we always have a, a long journey before us. We are pressing on to become like you more and more. And Father, we're not there yet. We all have rough edges. We all have things that need to change about us. And Father, it is my prayer that as I look out over these people and as the pastor of this church, my prayer for this flock is that, Father, you would help us to grow, to change, that we would be committed to our families, to our spouse, 
that, Father, we would be willing to change as you open up our hearts, as you show us, as you convict us. Father, that is our prayer because we always want to kick against the goads, so to speak. We just want to not go there. We don't want to make those changes because sometimes they're just not, not fun. It's not easy. But Lord, I pray for each individual that our hearts will be open to you and that we can forever be changed to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.